Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer at the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I am Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 14 for the seventh Sunday uh, after Epiphany, which is the Transfiguration Sunday. In this episode, we discuss Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the new revised standard version of the Bible, and we use the common lectionary. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm fine. We are recording this on February 5th, 2020, which means we just had the State of the Union delivered last night. And uh, did you watch it? Nope. (laughs) I didn't watch it either, but I've heard about the drama that has happened since the State of the Union. Mm. uh, You know, back in the biblical days, they would tear like politicians would tear their clothes when they were upset about something and now we're apparently tearing up documents and speeches and things so that's fun it's good yeah um yeah it's a very biblical thing to do when you're upset with politicians but i guess when you are a politician and you tear up another politician's thing is that a prophetic act um i think that's kind of a prophetic act I, yes, it, um, (laughs) I mean, the way I understand the prophets, it's, um, it's a prophetic act is speaking truth to power. So yes, in that sense, it, it is a prophetic act to tear up another politician's speech. But I think what's even more profoundly prophetic is when it's, self-reflective when speaking truth to power means speaking truth to yourself and telling yourself what you don't necessarily want to hear you know prophets are welcome except in their hometown is a is a kind of a reflection of that yeah it's i don't know there there's sometimes when i'm like yeah there are no good guys in this and it's just an ugly mess. And then my own political perspective comes out and I'm like, but there are worse guys in this. Oh, I no, I, abs- I absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's that. like, that's, that's also a dangerous I, place to I, go. Yes. It's and just like, it's, uh, it's just, I don't, when I saw that, I was like, uh, okay, there's a part of that that is um, kind of badass and there's also another part of it that's like I can't believe we're at this point it's like I have these contrasting emotions within myself about the whole thing no I I definitely do too my commentary on what makes a prophet is not necessarily how I feel about about the political things of last night that's just solely what I think about what prophets do but 
I have my um, viewpoint on the political climate of right now, and I have an understanding of some people being more dangerous than others. And some of the most dangerous people are the ones who I wish uh, could be more self-reflective. Yes, and (laughs) and the good news, Lindsay, is that the Transfiguration Sunday that is coming up this Sunday has some profits in it. Yes. And uh, we're going to talk about prophetic, a little prophetic witness uh, in our times, because that's what the Bible is giving us for this coming Sunday. So Transfiguration Sunday comes up every year uh, in the cycle of the lectionary, and it can be kind of annoying because for pastors who have to preach on it every year, it's like, can you find something new to say? Like the Beatitudes that we've been talking about and the Sermon on the Mount come once every three years. And here we have the Transfiguration Sunday again, mm-hmm. <laughs> over mm-hmm. and over again. But there's a lot to mine in this. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Transfiguration is about shining a whole new light on God and a whole new understanding of God. So there are so many directions that it can be taken in, and also only one direction that it can be taken in. It can be taken in, it can only be taken in the direction of ever-expanding, ever-inclusive love. That's the only direction it can be taken in. But the applications of that are endless. So awesome. Let's dive yeah. into it. This is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And it says this Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to him, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Lindsay, what do you like about this story? It comes up every year. This is an important story because all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell the story. And interestingly, John doesn't explicitly tell the story, I think, but he alludes to it uh, in his gospel. So whenever there's a story that all three of the synoptics especially agree upon and tell, (laughs) you know that it's important to the story of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I I really I do love this story. There is there is a lot to it. And 
I think that the reason it is told in all of the Gospels, or in in three out of four and alluded to in the fourth, I think the reason it's such a prominent story is because this is, like I said, all about seeing God in a whole new light. And I think of scripture in its entirety as taking us on a journey out of our misunderstanding of God and particularly out of our association of God with violence into the understanding of God as as love, as light and love to the world. And I mean, as, as we discuss this um, in detail, we'll, I think we'll see that that's what this story is all about. And so I love it because it's, it's like a miniature encapsulation of what the whole of scripture is in this one passage, in this short little revelation on the mountaintop. So yeah, that's, that's the um, short version of what I love about this. I, I guess as we go on, we'll, we'll unpack all of that. Yeah, I love this because it's such a mystical experience and I am not a mystic. <laughs> I wish I was a mystic. I'm jealous of the mystics when mm. they have these kinds of mystical experiences. But the whole the whole mystical thing about it is and that you see in the Bible the transfiguration is that there's something bigger, there's something beyond the physical world. Uh it's not that there's something like more important than the physical world. But because uh, the physical world is good, like we hear in the creation story, God created everything and it was good. But the world is also infused with the presence of God. Mm. And the mystics know this at a deep, deep level. And uh, I don't. <laughs> right. I have to go through like the rituals of, um, I don't know, uh, baptism, reaffirming baptism. I have to go through the rituals of uh, communion in order to have my eyes opened to the mystical aspect of our faith, that God is present in normal things like bread and wine or juice and in the waters mm -hmm. of baptism. And here you see like the incarnation that we celebrated at Christmas and that we had at Jesus's baptism when it says, this is my son. Uh, and you get that repeated here and Jesus is glowing with, uh, with the presence of God, right? And this is God in the human, uh, which is mm -hmm. true of all of us and true of Moses when he sees the burning bush. Moses appears to the disciples here and Moses sees the bush that's burning with the presence of God. And the rabbis say, well, every bush is burning with the presence of God as long as you can, your eyes can be open to it. And that's like the mysticism that just... Uh, that I don't have naturally. I don't know if anybody has it naturally, but I don't have it. And uh, these well, stories open my eyes to it. Uh, so, well, I, I, you know, there's no shame in needing the rituals to um, to continually open our eyes. I think that's why I'm. I really love that the Eucharist is weekly at our church. It. I didn't grow up with it being weekly, but I feel like 
I, I feel like you just put it so well that those things that show us the manifestation of God in simple things like bread and wine and the whole community that gathers together to partake of the supper together, I kind of feel like the more we exercise that, the more our vision can be opened to seeing God in each other and in all things. And I don't know if it if it does come naturally or easily, but I think that those rituals are what are kind of like spiritual exercises that literally strengthen our spiritual muscles. Yes. So. Yeah, I like that a lot. So what's the deal with uh, Moses and Elijah in this story? Why are they yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, they're the personification of the law and the prophets. So Jesus stands with the law and the prophets. And Jesus absorbs them. Jesus fulfills them by the end of the vision. He's the only one there, but he is not, he's not necessarily eliminating them as as bringing out the fullness of them in himself. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Oh, yes, yes. There's so much to that. These are two critical figures for first century Judaism, for Judaism, uh, but (laughs) particularly for the time period that we're talking about. I mean, uh, I think Elijah tends to get downplayed by Christians quite a bit. Like if you were to ask people, uh, where's Elijah in the Bible? Uh, it would be difficult to say, oh, yeah, he's in First Kings, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You would, you would, you, we tend to think of uh, Isaiah. Like, why isn't Isaiah the one who appears here instead of Elijah, right? Mm. Uh, Isaiah is such a huge figure for uh, Christianity, but here it's, it's Elijah. And part of that is Elijah was taken up uh, without having been died, without having died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were uh, looking for Elijah to come back. So that's why John the Baptist gets associated with Elijah in in the New Testament and stuff. But Elijah is also an important figure along with Moses because what they have in common is that they were both very political figures. So mm-hmm. Moses, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, right? And Moses yes. like says, I don't want to do that. That's kind of scary. But he ends up doing it anyway and speaks prophetically to the political leaders of his day in the hopes of gaining freedom from oppression. So there's that. And there's also Elijah. And Elijah is around when uh, Ahab uh, was king and Ahab was also oppressive (laughs) king Mm -hmm. and uh, worked against, like all the prophets do, against the oppression of of the kings. And Elijah, they both go up to the mountain. Elijah and Moses both go up to the mountain. Uh, Moses' face becomes white when he comes down the mountain, like Jesus is white, uh, glowing uh, with the presence of God. And Elijah goes up to the mountain and does this uh, fire thing uh, mm-hmm. with the prophets of Baal. Mm-hmm. And then Moses comes down and kills the people uh, who are worshiping the false uh, god. And Elijah decides to kill all the false prophets. So he rounds them up. So you have this murder at the end of both stories. And what's so interesting about that is that God doesn't command them to do the murdering. Right, right. It specifically says Elijah (laughs) rounded up all of the false prophets and killed them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that takes the divine violence straight out of it. 
And Moses says, oh, yeah, God told me to kill all of them. But you never yeah, get the story. God. With yeah. Oh, yeah, Moses, you should go mm. kill them. <laughs> right, right. So both stories have an element of liberation and an element of an understanding, a misunderstanding of a violent God associated, you know, who a violent God who acts on behalf of of people um, that God supposedly loves more than others. And both stories have God to an extent correcting that understanding of violence as well. So I looked, I looked back on what we said about the transfiguration last year. And what's interesting is that there are multiple stories of Moses bringing the commandments down from the mountain. So in one story, he brings down the commandments and he sees how the people are worshiping the golden calf and he kills the people. But in another story, he comes down with the light of God shining on his face and he veils his face and you don't get the violence. And there's a retelling of the story, a reinterpretation where there's no, where there isn't any violence associated with God and God's revelation. And there's a sense that as the story of Moses is told, the understanding and association of God with violence tends to fade away. And you think of the story of Moses being the foundational story for a people being told over and over and over. And as the people's understanding of God evolves, God becomes less violent. God is always the one who liberates them from oppression. And God is always the one who leads them into freedom. And God is always the one who takes them from slavery into a new land and a new way of life. But the association of all of that with violence fades. And so you get multiple stories of Moses coming down from the mountain and instituting this new way that God tells people to be with each other. And it goes from God is almighty and powerful and will not accept any rivals and therefore anyone who worshiped the calf is, is killed. And it, it takes that out in another telling of the story. And he just goes and talks to people. And so that's, that's Moses. And in the story, in the story of Elijah, shortly after Elijah slays the prophets of Baal. Elijah is very zealous about wanting to prove who the true God is. So he sets up a contest. And when he calls on the name of the true God, stuff happens and the offering is, is burnt up and there's this manifestation of God's power. And then, you know, in that in his victory dance, you know, in his ha-ha, I won dance, he goes and kills everyone. But God never tells him to do that. And shortly afterward, he becomes depressed and he sees all sorts of manifestations of power, like fire and earthquakes, but God isn't in any of them. He finally finds God in a still, small voice. So in both stories, there's this you have Moses and Elijah both 
coming out of their understandings. You know, you know, they they worship God, but they don't necessarily know all that that means until they have a revelation of God's nonviolence. And I think the same thing is happening in this story as well. Yeah, and even after Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal, Jezebel says, okay, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. And so there you get the cycle of violence that's being mm -hmm. revealed in scripture. But how do you respond to human violence, typically with violence of your own, until somebody is coming willing to break that cycle, which is what the voice of God does in the still small voice when Mo when Elijah goes back up the mountain and hears where God is really coming from, which is not in big violence and fire that consumes all things, but in the still small voice of God. Mm -hmm. And you get that voice of God here at the transfiguration when they go up the mountain and the voice of God affirms what God already said at Jesus's baptism, which is, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And this is important because the son of God during this time is Caesar. Uh, that's, that's where you, it's, it's always, that's what's so radical about the Bible in particular is that it says, if you want to know what God is like, don't look to Pharaoh, don't look to the Kings, don't look to the Caesars, look to the people Israel are called the, the son of God. Uh, these people who are, have been marginalized throughout history. Where do you find God in the world? In this peasant Jewish rabbi who is almost insignificant when it comes to worldly power, worldly success. He's the one who goes and is crucified, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. where do you find God in the world? Not in the, not in those who are powerful and can kill people with their armies and stuff, but in the one who calls us to love our neighbors, including our enemies, as we yes. love ourselves. Yes. The the voice of God that says this comes after Jesus, uh, after the vision changes and Jesus is the only one there. Eliza and Moses are overshadowed, but Jesus doesn't come to dismantle the law or discredit the prophets, Jesus comes to fulfill them. So Peter has just said, let's stay here and I'll make I'll make a dwelling place for for you and Moses and Elijah on top of the mountain. Moses and Elijah are associated with both the love of God and the violence of God. You know, their stories are a mixture of love and liberation and the triumph of God and violence. Their stories are a mixture of that. And when they're overshadowed and Jesus is the one remaining, I think what that means is not that, I don't think that that takes away from Moses and Elijah, I think, but what it does do is say that the best of them, what you should take away from their stories is all found in Jesus. And what has Jesus done up to this point? He's done exactly what you said. He's gone to the marginalized. He's healed the sick. He's embraced the poor. You know, he's done all of these things and he has not 
he he is not associated with any violence. I mean, even the scene in the temple, which we'll get to later, is not violence against other human beings. It's turning over tables and using a whip to drive out animals, but that is overturning the entire sacrificial mechanism by which humans find them humans find a kind of false transcendence in sacrificing each other. Jesus yeah. overturns all of that. Yeah. And the other, I mean, when you mentioned uh, Jesus going to the marginalized, the other story about Elijah that could be key to lift up during this transfiguration Sunday would be when Elijah goes out to the widow, I think of Nain, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a drought. And what does Elijah do? He produces this miracle so that uh, the widow of Nain could continue to eat and her son yeah. could continue to eat. I mean, mm -hmm. like, who cares about this widow? Right. This is somebody who is like on the margins of the margins. <laughs> right. And that's exactly where Elijah goes. And maybe yes. that is the miracle in and of itself that Elijah cares about this woman and shows us that God cares about this woman, too, who's out on the margins. It turns out a little later in that story that her son dies. And so in this ancient culture, a widow without a son is left totally more vulnerable than ever. Uh, so she's totally vulnerable in this moment. And she cries out to Elijah, why have you brought this upon me? Why have you come back to me to bring my sins back upon me and have my son killed? And this is the first time when somebody is uh, brought back to life from mm. being dead. So Elijah brings this, this son back to his mother. This son who was dead is now brought back into and reconciled. Not even death can take uh, right. this son away from his mother. Uh, and there's, there's a miracle in that. There's also pain in that. And, uh, but the hope of reconciliation and the hope of, uh, what we have after the cross, which is mm -hmm. resurrection. So there you right. see this, this profound message of God trying to reconcile us, uh, even when our relationships seem dead to one another, there is Elijah bringing life back to us. That's beautiful. And that's such a powerful story. And that is what God does when we accuse each other. Uh, it often deteriorates very quickly. I mean, if we cry out to each other, this is your fault. Mm -hmm. Why did you do this to me? You know, that quickly deteriorates into, well, why did you do this to me? And, and all kinds of reciprocal violence. And you're right, through Elijah, God acts in a way of bringing, bringing life out of death and you know, that is bringing love out of accusation. And accusation, I mean, as we, as we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, anger often leads to death. You know, Jesus says anger leads to murder. And that is where it often leads. But God responds in a way uh, that transforms it and brings, and brings love and life out of that and calls us to do the same, enables us, empowers us to do the same. So yeah, the, the best of Elijah and Moses are reflected in Jesus. He doesn't 
take away from them, but what he does do or what or what God does in overshadowing Elijah and Moses is you want to know what the real message of Elijah and Moses are? Look to Jesus. That's what that's what it says. I mean, like you have these stories of the representative of the law and the representative of the prophets that are filled with great love and great violence. You want to know what they mean? Look to the love. The violence gets overshadowed and the love is what remains. I mean, I hope that's what happens to all of us, you mm. know? Yes. I mean, yeah. I I don't want to lose myself, but I want to lose everything that doesn't reflect Christ within me. I think it's also very interesting at the end that as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus orders them not to say anything about this vision until after he's been raised from the dead. And I have, I have a thought as to why he says this, but... Um, oh, good. Tell, tell us about it. Oh, okay. Okay. So when we think of the stories of Moses and Elijah, they are already following God when they commit horrific acts of violence. And it is so easy to have a partial vision of God to, to, to know. It's not always easy, but for some of us, it's really easy to know something that's 100% true, that God loves us, and to praise the God who loves us, and that is the only God who's there. The only God who exists is the one who loves us. But to have an incomplete vision where God's love for us equals hatred for another. And when our vision is incomplete, it can be so easy to do horrible things. I mean, and if, if the disciples had said, we have seen the true glory of God before seeing the, all that that means, before seeing that the true glory of God is going to go and become the victim of human violence and rise again with forgiveness, if they haven't seen that whole story, it can be so easy to take it in the direction of violence. It can be so easy to say, we've seen the true God and he's on our side. And so we are going to go and liberate Israel with, with violence. And the liberation is correct, but it's liberating the whole world. And it's not with violence, it's with love. And I think that Jesus knows that before they know that whole story, they should just keep their mouths shut. Yes. And as you were talking, it, it reminds me that the, the disciples were often consumed with rivalry with one another. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you sh maybe they should also keep their mouth shut because I imagine that Peter and James and John might go to the other disciples and say, hey, guess what? We just had this really great experience. And now oh. we know who God is oh, truly and you don't. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. that I mean, would be my temptation. They were bickering like, just before yes, he was killed. Yes. They were saying, oh, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Hey, Lord, tell him I'm the best. Yes. Oh, oh, hey, guys, gosh. guess what? Jesus took us up the mountain, which means that we're special and you're not. <laughs>
I would be tempted to do that too. Right. I mean, it, it says tell no one. It sa- it doesn't say okay, just tell our people. It says tell no one, and that's because, yeah, rivalries can spring up anywhere, and they are most likely to spring up around the people that we share the most time with. And yeah, and yeah, and that's most. that's what's so important. I think about the true mystical experience is that true mystics know that it's not about them. So it's not about them having this great mystical experience and others not having it. And I'm just so much closer to God than you because you don't have the mystical experience. The true mystic knows that this is not about that kind of rivalry with others, but with an opening up of our vision to see, as you've been saying, that God loves all people. The only God that exists, as you said, is the one who loves all of us. That's right. That, I think, is where the true mystical experience uh, wow. that is that is beautiful and that's also why it's impossible to cultivate that if we're trying to like if we're i mean if we're like okay what can i do to become more mystical what can yeah. i you know you kind of have to forget yourself and really the only way to do that is to really follow where Jesus tells us to go. And some people go there without without saying that the one telling them to do that is Jesus. So there are people in every religion who go to the poor, to the sick, to the marginalized. Yes. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what name we call the one who inspires us to do that. What matters is that we do it and God is there and you know, that's how we become closer to God. Brilliant. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, thank you, Adam. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And that's all from this episode of Jesus Unmasked. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies because Jesus calls us to love them too.